Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us on the Weekly Standard is Stephen Hayes. And Steve, you've been one of the few reporters who's been all over the Benghazi story from the beginning. And now the Weekly Standard has a new piece uh, that goes in-depth on the latest developments. Yeah, it does. It's a piece that I wrote with Tom Jocelyn, who is a terrorism expert with the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies and has written with me for, for years. This guy's basically a genius and uh, knows, knows this stuff and knows sort of broader al-Qaeda as well as anybody in the country. And basically what we did was we looked at a couple things. One, why is the Benghazi story not going away despite the efforts of the White House to, to make it go away and, and despite the sometimes determined efforts of many in the mainstream media to ignore it? Uh, that was the first thing we looked at. And the second thing we looked at is the increasing evidence that there may have been the hand of sort of central al-Qaeda, al-Qaeda leadership in Pakistan involved in the Benghazi attacks in one way or another. And we don't know a lot about that, but we certainly have very suggestive ties to al-Qaeda leadership in some of the attackers. And why is that significant at this point? Well, I think one of the reasons it's significant is that the president has gone to such great lengths to make these distinctions that I don't think are important distinctions. I mean, he's saying basically we have decimated al-Qaeda, and then he sort of revises that and says, well, we've really decimated core al-Qaeda, and these other groups are kind of splinter groups, and they're local groups, and they're not as important, and they don't present the kind of threats that, that al-Qaeda in the days of old uh, has presented. I just think that's short-sighted. I don't think that's a very good look at what al-Qaeda's ambitions are, uh, the way that they've uh, decided to change, to, a, to make adjustments to the way that the United States has prosecuted the war on terror. I mean, what are the things that they've done? is decentralized, and they've done this on purpose. Some of it's been by necessity because uh, the administration is right. They have taken out a, a good chunk of al-Qaeda leadership. But that doesn't mean that al-Qaeda has, is going away, and it doesn't mean that core al-Qaeda is sort of on an island and has no influence in the way that these uh, affiliates conduct their operations. I think there's, there's plenty of evidence, and again, accumulating evidence, that in fact core al-Qaeda has maintained contacts with these affiliate groups and in some ways maybe certainly are remain involved in what the affiliates are doing and in some ways maybe directing what the affiliates are doing. How does your reporting fit in with the reporting that, that CBS, particularly the 60 Minutes piece they did a couple weeks ago, do they mesh together? Do they, do they enlighten the work? Are you guys kind of you know, adding to each other's work? Yeah, to a certain extent. Look, Tom was interviewed for the 60 Minutes piece, um, and the, the interviews uh, with Tom appear on the 60 Minutes website. Um, and he talks about exactly what we uh, included in our piece, which was the role of Central Al-Qaeda, the fact that there are these ties between some of the, the uh, known attackers um, and, and potential ringleaders, and Al-Qaeda Central, people, you know, somebody who was bin Laden's bodyguard, for instance, uh, another who was corresponding with uh, Ayman al-Zawahiri in the months leading up to the Benghazi attacks, uh, uh, still another uh, person who participated in the attack, and we report uh, that this person uh, took back from the compound uh, some sensitive materials that he gathered uh, that our intelligence community is worried about, took back to Al-Qaeda leadership in Pakistan. Well, where's that guy now? Um, so, what's that? Where's that guy now? Where is that guy now? Yeah. He had been captured and then was released uh, for reasons that are not altogether clear. At this and point. this is the part, I think, you know, as you put together the bricks uh, that fill in all the, you know, this, this mosaic of awful, 
I think normal people go, we just don't get, obviously it was an Al-Qaeda pre-planned attack. The, you know, the right. reporting that's been done now for months shows that other places have been attacked. You know, there was a li- basically a hit list and we were the last you know, hit on the list. Obviously, Al-Qaeda people were involved. Why is this still, for lack of a better word, news? You see what I'm saying? Why, why isn't this just, yeah. okay, here's what we all know and let's act on it like going to get these bad guys. It's a, very, it's a very good question. Let me take a step back and make sort of the big picture argument in response to that question. It, that's in many ways, that's sort of the key question in all of this. It's why we wrote the piece we wrote. The president and his advisors have played a game that Tom, I think Tom coined the term, uh, disconnect the dots, where they go to great lengths, uh, you know, unlike the Bush administration for eight years, played connect the dots. And some would argue, I don't share this view, but some would argue that they connected dots overzealously. Um, I think the Obama administration can be accused, there's plenty of evidence uh, to suggest that they play disconnect the dots, where they take evidence that uh, ties groups together, ties individuals together, and, and paints a picture of an emerging threat or a growing threat or a threat in a new area, and the administration downplays the threat. Uh, in effect, says, "Look, these guys aren't these guys aren't that significant." And to cite one example from our piece, uh, you know, the administration talked about how uh, these groups, the Al Qaeda affiliates in Libya, were localized groups, and they were concerned with localized issues, and really this this hadn't been a big deal, and that Al Qaeda Central had directed the Benghazi attacks. Well, it turns out that's not true. That there were participants in the attacks from a number of countries outside of Libya, that the, uh, those who were the ringleaders of the attacks have deep and extensive and longstanding ties to al-Qaeda Central. And I guess the argument that Tom and I made, and again, this was in the 60 Minutes piece, Catherine Heritage at Fox News has been doing some very good reporting on this as well, is that the distinctions the administration is trying to make in order to be able to make policy changes, basically declare the end to the war on terror, are distinctions that they shouldn't be making. I mean, to you and to, I think, most people in the country, of course this was al-Qaeda, you know, and, and probably not that concerned about whether Ayman al-Zawahiri picked up the phone and called somebody and said, do this, or sent a message through a courier or whatever. But the administration is making those distinctions, and they're making those distinctions so that they're able to say, we don't need to be sort of on this war footing. We don't need to prosecute the war in the manner that we have over the past decade uh, because the threats aren't great, because the, the threats are diffuse, because they're dispersed, they're not as great, we don't need to worry about it as much. What we have been arguing pretty consistently in the weekly stand over the past couple of years is, the threats may not be as great, although it's difficult to say that, uh, you know, as they were on 9-11, but they're different threats. The nature of the threat is different, and, and it's a mistake to believe that al-Qaeda is doing this only because uh, they've been weakened, because core al-Qaeda has been weakened by drone strikes and whatnot, rather than assuming, and I think there's a lot of evidence to suggest, that, that, that they're doing this as part of a plan. That they're adapting in... in as, as uh, enemies do in a war, they're saying, in effect, the United States seems has declared its willingness and its eagerness to attack us in Pakistan. 
we're going to move operations elsewhere. We're going to hit them in different ways, and we're going to make it hurt in different ways. And we've now seen, I mean, the administration again and again, whether you're talking about, um, you know, the attempted bombing on Christmas Day in 2009, whether you're talking about the attempted bombing in Times Square in May of 2010, the administration has gone to great lengths to, to downplay connections that those attackers have had to al-Qaeda Central or to other groups. You know, they say they're, they're isolated extremists. These are local groups. They don't present any broader threat. And those claims have been demonstrated false in the past. And I think that's what we're looking at here with respect to Benghazi. I also think it's, it's the case uh, when you talk about the broader war on terror and the threats presented by al-Qaeda broadly understood. Which means, of course, we get to talk about Obamacare because everything can be tied back to Obamacare. My question for you is... Now that people like, you know, kind of typical voters and maybe swing voters and maybe less partisan folks up on Capitol Hill have seen the president's willingness to, shall we say, uh, stretch the truth. Is there any sense that people are willing to go back and look at some of the other standing claims? For example, the Obama narrative regarding Benghazi and reopen all these issues you just laid out and more because of the kind of the glare that shines off of that shameless you can keep your coverage if you like it statement. Yeah. It's, a, it's a really good question. So I'll, I'll do something that, you know, people in sort of our, our world don't do very often, certainly don't like to do. I was completely wrong about um, the effect that uh, the Benghazi story was going to have on the Washington press corps. Remember the debate about the talking points and then right. the White House had to release 100 pages of documents laying out this, the internal administration fight over these talking points. And it was very clear in black and white, these printed papers, these printed emails, that the line the White House had used consistently, that the White House and the State Department had no substantive role in shaping the talking points and changing them in any way, in trying to downplay, again, to go back to what you were saying just a minute ago, to downplay the role of al-Qaeda. The White House, Jay Carney, had claimed from the podium repeatedly, insistently, even with exasperation when he got questions about it. White House had no substantive role, neither did senior State Department officials. And it turns out that those emails revealed that both the White House and the National Security Council and the State Department all had tremendous influence, made serious and substantive recommendations of changes, and it was obvious. And I thought at that time, because the White House press corps had been misled, had been, I mean, in that instance, I think it's fair to say, lied to repeatedly, that this would change the way that they approached the White House. I think there was a sense, it will give you the benefit of the doubt until it's obvious that you've, you know, basically made us look like fools, because many people went out and, on the word of Jay Carney and others at the White House, wrote stories that said the White House had no role in changing the talking points. Well, it turns out that the White House did have a role Mm -hmm. in changing the talking points, and I think reporters felt a little chagrined. Uh, so I expected the coverage to change. I expected there to be more what I would consider to be a professional skepticism and distance uh, and suspicion about White House claims. We didn't see it. It nope. didn't happen uh, at all. And, and it really surprised me. I mean, I know uh, you don't have to make arguments about media bias. I mean, I buy them. I believe them. I think that was at work before. I just expected there to be a certain level of journalistic skepticism that would have kicked in. It didn't kick in. I think it's kicking in now. I mean, I've talked to people who cover the White House on a daily basis about this. And, you know, the idea, and these are people who have covered the president. They were covering the president when he was out making the case. If you like your plan, you can keep it, period. I guarantee that you can keep your plan. 
they were the ones who were writing these stories. And when Republicans were saying at the time, Mr. President, it's clear that people aren't going to be able to, to keep their plans. These are the same reporters who would go to the White House and say, hey, well, these Republicans are saying you're not going to be able right. to keep the plan. And they listened to, to White House spinmeisters and health policy advocates saying, in effect, yes, they will. Don't believe those dirty Republicans. Well, now they know that they have been misled again and again and again on this issue. And there is a huge credibility problem with this White House. Now, you and I think that there has been for five years. But I think for people who are willing to give the White House the benefit of the doubt, this has become indisputable. I mean, you can't, you, you can no longer ignore the fact that they have been lied to again and again and again. And I think that that's going to change the way that this White House is covered. Steve Hayes, thanks so much for your time for this Weekly Standard podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.